Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, listeners. This is Fulhamish, your independent Fulham podcast. And for the first time since 1975-76, Fulham have got four points out of that lot down the road, squatting at the old dog track at Wallum Green. It is a very, very clear indication that SW6 remains firmly black and white. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And I'm joined by the wonderful Mr. Dan Cook. How you doing, mate? I'm doing good, JC. Thanks very much for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And the inimitable Mr. Cameron Ramsey. How are you, mate? Ecstatic to be here, lads. Absolutely flying today. There are a few slightly hungover faces, I think, flying around at the moment. But what a what a night, boys! I think it's easy to it's easy to look at these things and go, oh, it would have been brilliant to win, and it would have been obviously, it would have been incredible to do the double. But to take four points, they spent. £200 million since losing to us in order to try and level the playing field and still couldn't score against the mighty Fulham. Those are the kind of things that you live for. We'll get into the game in a second, but before we do, Cookie, do you want to throw us some three-word reviews? Oh, absolutely. It was a big one. 260 on Twitter, 260 three-word reviews, which I've never seen numbers like that. Uh, about 170 of them were Kenny Tete baby, which I think is <laughs> entirely appropriate. So some shout-outs to FFC Voice and Luca Lele for those ones, amongst many, many others. We also had Lucas with Kenny Believe It, Jakob Krupa with Declined Cash Withdrawal, <laughs> and... <laughs> A favourite of ours, Richard Bamber, with a couple which I both liked, Billion Dollar Blues and Can't Buy Class. And finally, AF, one of our own, Adam Fukarsson, with Enzius of Tete. That's very good considering he's just had a baby and um, I imagine his head would be absolutely scrambled. So, you know what, to come up with that you know, a couple of days, congratulations, of course, to AF and his lovely missus. Um, right, lads, I mean, we, we talked about Tete there. Cam... I said yesterday, I think it's one of the great fullback performances that I've witnessed in the flesh. It was a masterclass. And whoever Chelsea threw on, whichever amount of money they threw down that left-hand side at Kenny Tete, our £1.8 million right-back was having absolute none of it. Absolute stormer from Kenny Tete. As you say, bought him from Leon for pittance compared to the likes of uh, Madueke and Mudrik, who I thought were kept under close, uh, you know, close wraps by by the man himself. It was uh, it was really, really beautiful to see a player that is performing at a level which hasn't really been hit since the days of your, you know, your John Pantsels, for example, or your Finnans. I, I was going to say, yeah, he 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 is he is operating at a rate which is commendable. I can't I can't even fathom the words at the moment to describe just how well he did last night because. Uh, he watched play developed. He screened across the back four when he needed to. He was just a, he was just a pillar of security for us. And um, there isn't a right back in the division at the moment which can do what he does so well. So, you know, I, I'm going to allow I'm going to allow Dan to to give him a little bit more uh, appreciation because what a man, what a what a bloke. I, th- I think the only thing I could add really is that it's so difficult nowadays to find a, a fullback who is as good in a one-on-one defensive battle as well as also going forward. And I think that's that's one of the things that sets Kenny Tete apart is that he's not one-dimensional, which I think is great for us because I think I quite like Tim Ream's quote at the uh, after the game. He said something along the lines of, we defend from the, the front and attack from the back. And there is an element of that where, you know, having players like Kenny Tete and Anthony Robinson allowing us to do that, where we feel strong and stable defensively, but also can free them up to go forward. And there were a couple of lovely moments yesterday as well in possession with Kenny Tete linking up with, it was usually Harrison Reed just dropping into those sort of wider half spaces and using Bobby Deckard over Reed as well, some triangles getting round that Chelsea press. I thought that it was just an all round performance from Kenny Tete and probably he was an assist or a goal away from a, an actual 10 out of 10. 
Yeah, I was, I was, I was wondering how he was going to be rated by our, our own George Rossiter. He got nine point five, um, <laughs> but I, I wondered if he might squeeze into that ten category. But I think you're absolutely right. Maybe, maybe an assist would would just tip the balance on that one. But just sensational. And you know, you look at the players he was coming up against. You look at the individual battles he was winning. And there was a moment with Raheem Sterling, who's a player that I really, really like and have done forever and ever and ever. And Tete just has him at arm's length. He's like, you're not going anywhere near this ball. I, I don't know what you think you're playing at. I don't know what I don't know what you think you're going to get out of this because you're not. And then he sort of turns it along, goes down the line and, and, and off Fulham go again. And I think that was that was spot on with what you say. But Cam, you know, that praise is effusive. And I think it's I think it's so well earned that you're looking at a, a player there yesterday who did absolutely everything that was required of him in pretty much every situation. And the appreciation from the crowd went up and up and up as as the game went on. And he kept acknowledging it as well. He kept putting his hand back up, but like, thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> You're like, it's just so it's so nice to have that kind of relationship with a player. And and, and also to, yeah, to see that, you know, your appreciation is heard and and, and kind of found. And, and he was like, yeah, I am playing well. Absolutely, I, I deserve all. I deserve all my flowers. My favorite moment of the entire thing, though, was right at the end when everyone was singing, and Issa Diop came over, and he was like, "I thought this was my song." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Right, okay, cool. We could come up with more inventive chants." Um, right, let's, let's talk about this as a whole. Cam, in terms of the game, I thought it was, and the draw was probably a fair result generally across the course of it. I think Fulham were the better side. Chelsea probably created the better opportunities. Uh, and Fulham probably edged the first half, whereas Chelsea probably edged the second. But there wasn't much between these two sides. And you're kind of looking at that and what this side is. And, and look, we can talk about the money all we want, but ultimately it's going to take some time to to gel and, and come together. But Fulham looked like a team from the outset who were absolutely not going to give up on anything. And it was a, a dogfight at times, but I loved everything about the battle and grit in that display yesterday. Oh, of course, um, we were organised and disciplined, um, and there were a few hairy patches, of course, with uh, Bird Leno going slightly AWOL and uh, um, Kai Havertz hitting the post, of course. But other than that, I thought that we approached the game um, with a, you know, a composed measure about us. Um, I don't think Chelsea had a real foothold in the game or a spell where they looked like they were really turning the screw on us. Um, I just thought operationally across the defence into the midfield and even with Alexander Mitrovic yes he didn't necessarily play fantastically yesterday but his hold up play enabled us to rotate possession sensibly I, I, I thought that we were very very well organised you know we, we we made it difficult for Chelsea to build any meaningful opportunities and chances and you've got to remember this is at Stamford Bridge as well uh, it's, it's a ground where we seldom prosper and we rarely get any kind of reward from and you're right. I mean, the better team yesterday was definitely the boys in, in black and white. Um, I thought Chelsea were scratching around for opportunities. They were trying to make chances out of nothing, really. And while we were limited as well to clear-cut chances in front of the target, it's not always about that. It's, it's, it's about putting the hard yards in and working for each other. Um, and this team has that in spades. They have togetherness and solidarity. And it's something that's been bred into the squad throughout the 18 months that Marco Silva's been here. And we talk about Chelsea having to integrate a load of players into the squad, you know, a, a, a plethora of talent, which is going to, it's either going to succeed or it's going to fail. And there's no two ways about it. But we have a squad at the moment which understands its worth. It knows what it's capable of. And you visiting the home of a two-time European champion in Chelsea that may well be going through a little bit of a sticky patch themselves at the moment. But we we made it um, we made it difficult for them last night and that has to be commended, it has to be applauded. And uh, I thought the performance, all in all, was 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 top half Premier League. And that's that's all you can expect. I think there's we we matched them up brilliantly for a start. I think we made the most of what I thought was a disjointed Chelsea press. I think there was a lot of times that Kai Havertz was was pressing up on Issa Diop and Tim Ream only to realise that he had nothing yep. in behind him. So that that ball, I thought Issa Diop did it particularly well and he has done all season. Finding those those sort of 
reverse passes into the centre of midfield when it looks like for certain he's going to give it out to Kenny Tete or, or Bobby Deckard over Reed, and he just flips it inside to Harrison Reed or Andres Pereira, beating two lines of, of presses at times with those passes, I thought was brilliant. I thought we were good out of possession and again, making use of a, a slightly disjointed Chelsea side. I think you saw good flashes for, well, for the majority of the game from Enzo Fernandez, but I think we, we did hassle him and there were times that we did force him into mistakes and he's obviously going to take a little bit more time, um, but there's obviously a good player there. And I think what we benefit from is, I don't know what you think, JC, but, any Graham Potter side that has a settled squad, I think after 20, 25 minutes, he probably changes it. He changes shape, he changes system. Yeah. But I don't think he has the confidence in this squad yet to think that he can make those changes on the fly. You saw sure, when we played Brighton, I think they made three or four changes throughout the game to try and sort of change things up to, to unsettle us, to just shake it up a little bit. And actually Chelsea didn't do that at any point yesterday, I didn't think. It felt very samey throughout there was sw- swapping of wingers, but that was basically about it. And I think we, because we had their number in minute one with how we set up, it meant that we always just had a little bit of an edge over them across the whole game. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I, I also think that there is no current stability in the midfield. And I agree with you both in that I thought Enzo Fernandez was pretty good for the most part. Um, obviously, you come in and it's quite difficult to buy you know, a midfield. And it's also very weird to to spend that kind of money on a player of his type because yeah. he's not a zinger kind of, I'm going to make things happen player. And you can see when, you know, I thought Mudrick was dreadful yesterday, but you can yeah. see where in flashes why there are moments. And, you know, like in, in Man of Solomon, for example, these are the kind of players that you go, we're going to splurge on because they get players up on the edge of their seat. They, they kind of make things happen out of nothing, as, as you mentioned, Camp. But Enzo Fernandez isn't that. Uh, I was listening to Stadio earlier this week, and they called him a bass player. And and it's very rare that you it's very rare that you splurge that kind of money on that. But there's there's no one around him at the moment. You know, obviously Conor Gallagher was in there, who I thought was quite poor. Um, I, I just don't think he's really up to this level. To be perfectly honest with you, he had you know mo- that moment where he nearly scored. But apart from that, generally I, I thought that performance was quite poor. And then Mason Mount in front of them. It's not a midfield that screams solidity at you. Uh, and I think, you know, Andreas Pereira, Cam, took full advantage of that. You know, he had so much space in the middle to turn and go at times. And, and Fulham looked for that pass because they knew it was going to be on, on in a regular basis. I mean, the thing with Mason Mount and even Gallagher, um, their work rate going forward is pretty good, but defensively they're not interested. So Pereira found those uh, little gaps and those little uh, those little gullies through um, to kind of uh, get himself in between the defenders and the midfields, and um, he looked really, really sharp yesterday. He 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 supports uh, he supports the wingers so well. He gets across both both sides of the pitches, and he makes a, he always makes an option for for the man to give the ball. And when he gets the ball, he's sort of forward thinking. Um, and he he nearly came close as well. You know, it was an excellent save from from Kepper, who I thought looked quite shaky at the start as well, but. Um, it's a mark of a of a fairly decent keeper to get down like he did to stop a a, a pretty a pretty um a pretty direct shot, um, and I was sat right behind it as well, and I thought it was going to be nestling in the bottom corner. You know, I was I was I was sure of that. Um, but all in all, Andreas Pereira's um, numbers this season, his output has been outstanding, um, and it really has. And he doesn't really get enough praise, in my opinion, for what he does um, on the retreat too. He's not just an offensive player. He's uh, he, he's number ten, which kind of uh, which chips in with the hard yards and and, and the dirty work too. He's uh, he's a real difficult customer to kind of contain if you're a defender, and likewise if you're a ball carrier, he's always on your on your tail. And uh, he he kind of embodies the um, you know the team spirit within Silverside at the moment. It's uh, it's a squad full of players which are coming from you know big clubs and looking to make an impact. Um, at a club which also has an aspiration to become a very, uh, you know, a very solid Premier League team themselves, and uh, really, really impressed with the way that he approached the game yesterday. And uh, yeah, hopefully, there's more to come from him as well, um, from what we've already seen this season. Yeah, I think one of the, the important things he did yesterday as well, which he, I mean, he always does, is, is, is we talk about his pressing, but he particularly in the first half put Kepper under pressure a couple of times, and from memory, it was definitely two, potentially three times. Kepper really got that 
that his distribution wrong. He, he tried to play out. He went tried to go long. He got it wrong. He hit Andreas Pereira in one instance. And I think he scuffed another one. And I just noticed after that, that that Chelsea were quite apprehensive at that point, or Kepa particularly, to actually play out. There was a lot of times that they, they started going long up to Havertz. And I wonder if that was just a confidence thing from Kepa after making a couple of early mistakes. And whilst Kai Havertz is... I don't, probably doesn't get enough credit for how physically capable he is. And it is probably why he's been shunted into that nine role at Chelsea is because he can use his body and he's, he's, he's not weak, but it's always a battle that Issa Diop was going to win. Mm. And so I think there were moments then where Chelsea lost their ability to put their foot on the ball. And, and again, I mean, use Enzo Fernandez, for example, yep. and use that build through the lines. Instead, they were, they were lumping long because Andreas Pereira was relentlessly chasing them down. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, Kai Havertz, I think one of those things that he does well, and I mentioned this to my brother at the time of the game, was he, he kind of uses his body as a feint. He'll like step in and feint to kind of, whereas most people would, would use those kind of things with their feet. He uses his body to do that really well. And I, I think once he leaves Chelsea, he's going to go on to be very successful. I just think it's maybe not going to ever work at that point um, for Chelsea. I mean, he scored the winner in a Champions League final, depending on how you define it working. But we, we, we'll see. Um, there were, Cam, though, some pretty scary moments in this one. Uh, the first half, obviously, Kai Havertz goes through and chips the keeper and it comes back off the sort of corner of post and bar. At first, he looked very offside. He is not offside. This <laughs> Diop has done a, a brain fart in many ways and just is, is just well behind the defensive line for no real reason. And then the second half, David Fofana, who came on, comes out, beats Leno to a ball, then turns Diop, and it looks for all the world that Chelsea are going to score. But Tim Ream provides one of the moments of the season so far, I think, with that clearance off the line. And the away went went absolutely ballistic. <laughs> um, but they were the probably the clearest two chances in the game. Yeah, I'd say so. I thought uh, Havertz's opportunity was in from where I was sitting um, quite low down. Uh, I saw saw the Chelsea fans on a get off off their seats, not really making too much noise, but it just looked like uh, it looked like it had found the back of the net. Um, but it's good good tracking from the defenders to try to obviously clear the ball off the line if they, if needed to. Um, I thought <laughs> the defensive shape in that build up. We we've looked this, looked at the snippets a bit. It doesn't look very good at all. <laughs> Um, there's players all over the place and it looks like there's about five players marking um, one man and he still got through and nearly scored. Um, and a season-defining moment in its own right for Tim Ream late on, you know, off the line, more or less. It's a it's a ball across target which could cause a on-rushing defender quite a few problems. If he gets his timing wrong, he could quite easily go the other side of him and nestle into the back of the net. But um, Tim Ream switched on, aware of danger, Burn Lane, I think he had to come out and force the issue there. Um, and we touched on it before the pod. He doesn't take the attacker down, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. Because if he ends up getting red carded, then that's a huge, huge loss for Fulham in the coming games because he's a great organiser at the back. And it's just a, maybe a little rush of blood. He needed to close space, though, and he did well. And he trusts his defenders to get back and uh, mop up for him if needs be. And... Uh, we can always rely on Tim Ream. God bless him. He's uh, he's been unreal this season. His game's elevated. He's he's a he's a man reborn, and he saved us a point. He really did. And I I I, I trust him. I trust him with everything he does at the moment. He just looks like a player which is uh, really shining. Even at the age of what thirty five, he's he's really really mastered his uh, mastered his craft at the back, and. Uh, I was I was purple, purple in the face as he cleared it off the line, you know, because you, you were there, head in hands, going, "Oh, here we go! It's a late winner. It was always going to be this way." And the big man steps up when it really matters, and <laughs> at that moment, you celebrate like it's a goal of your own, don't you? It was yeah. it was a seriously, seriously assured moment. No, it's, it, the, the renaissance has been wonderful, and I think one of the things that's making me really happy is that because we've had this string of games on telly we've started to get a little bit more praise and a little bit more notice of our players. I think first start of the season, when we were really probably at our, our best in terms of results, a lot of that was Saturday 3pms. And I think there was a lot going unnoticed. You know, the performances of Polina, the performances of Tim Ream. But last night, the amount of praise I've seen going towards Tim Ream from completely unassociated to Fulham pundits was 
wonderful. I mean, there was one from Julian Laurens who at the start of this season, I think was Tim Ream's biggest critic I've ever heard, more than any other Fulham fan. He outright said on one of the podcasts that he is adamant that he's not a Premier League player and there's no way that we can do anything this season with him at the back. And he just tweeted last night in big capital letters, Tim Ream the dream. I think It's just amazing. What's here. And I think people mentioned it as well, but again, his distribution yesterday was fantastic. Uh, it's, we expect it, but finding Bobby Deckard over Reed out on the out on the right flank a, a number of times. I think it happened two or three times in the space of five minutes in that first half as well, where he would just constantly pick that ball out. And he's formed a really nice partnership most of the game with this Diop, but there still seems to be these these one moments, one or two moments that they switch off or that that communication stops happening. And I do think that that's been the difference in the games against particularly top six sides. And I guess we could probably just leave Chelsea out of that conversation at the moment. But <laughs> in the games that we've lost against top six sides or where we've conceded late on, I think there's just we need to get rid of those one or two moments when we completely switch off. Because whilst that's OK in the championship or against bottom half the table sides, top six sides will always punish us for that. And I think if we're, we're playing anyone else from the traditional top six, one of those two chances gets put away. Either Havertz or Fafana's get it is a goal, and so there is something that's to be said about we just need to just tighten up a little bit more. But we've been fantastic defensively ever what for the past two three months I would say, compared to the start of the season when we were conceding two regularly every game but scoring three. It's quite nice to come away with a nil nil draw away from home. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And just on that Zappelinia thing, uh, sorry. Thing from our Opdoor analyst this morning that was Trapalinho has made 251 defensive actions this season. It's more than any other Premier League player. <laughs> and, you know, it, he deserves all of the flowers that he's getting at the, at the moment. And to be honest, I think maybe one of the most impressive things about yesterday's performance from Polina is he got a very harsh yellow card for winning the ball in early on in this game. And he didn't go mad. He didn't go flying into challenges, but it didn't also feel like he was playing on a yellow. And you know, some players you watch on a yellow card and you're going, okay, you're jumping out of challenges because you have no... He didn't do that. He was cool, calm and collected and he managed to, to, to make it all work as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think generally across the game, it was a, a very, very impressive performance from pretty much everyone at Fulham to a man. Uh, we'll come on to Alexander Mitrovic in the question section because there's a lot of questions uh, about him. Um, but I'm just going to finish this segment by revealing that did you see the tweet yesterday from jay electronica you know producer and rapper extraordinaire who just randomly tweeted 10 minutes before kickoff there's only one team in fulham don't at me what <laughs> i don't even know who that fella is but fair play <laughs> it's like one of the preeminent rappers of generation a, a musical genius it's from america what? It's <laughs> like, one of those brilliant. I got sent in. I was like, surely this is just like a fake tweet. And then I went to his account. I was like, oh no, no, he's actually tweeted this. This is actually happening. Bizarre. But alas, uh, Fulham are getting their flowers. Right. So in part two, we're going to answer a stack of your questions. And in part three, we're going to talk about the Sunderland replay in the cup. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm Jack Collins and I'm joined by Dan Cook and Cam Ramsey. We've got some questions um, and they start around Alexander Mitrovic. Um, there's a couple kind of in the same bracket here, so I'm going to read a few of them off. Uh, James Wilson said, people have mentioned Mitro, but as a whole, do we need to worry about the lack of goals scored since the last Chelsea match? Defence has been supreme but the ball has to find the back of the net at some point. Elliot Jeffords said, who else is concerned with lack of productivity from the top? Mitro's body language seemed to be off all night. Maybe it was a bad night, or do you think there's some confidence issues after the missed penalty? Um, and then Paul Budd said, I believe our tactics are coming a little predictable in the final third, and it's mildly concerning that Mitro hasn't scored since the 31st of December. What else can we put the evident drop in goals down to? Cam, it's... 
a he- fairly heavy series of questions um, around Alexander Mitrovic yesterday. And for the first time in a long time, we saw him substituted. You know, normally when, when this happens, and, and maybe it's because you're at Chelsea away uh, and a point is an absolutely fine result, but Carlos Vinicius came on to replace him rather than alongside him, which I thought w- was interesting. Mitro, I thought in the first half, was putting it about. He looked up for it. He looked hungry. He just wasn't getting things right. He had the moment, obviously, where he hits it from the halfway line and it would have been, I think that would have been it. I might, I might, I think the world might have ended. That would have been the moment <laughs> of perfect joy that was just, I might have self-combusted uh, at that point. I often say that Fulham are going to kill me in a negative sense, but I think that one might have just been the other way. Uh, I just exploded with joy. It doesn't look like he's quite at the races. And there was moments yesterday where, you know, he held the ball up and his, his hold-up play was fine, as you mentioned in part one. But, you know, the, the release was on and instead he managed to sort of get himself caught, un, caught the ball underneath him and, and allowed a defender to nick in. And actually it came a couple of times, came quite close to costing us uh, at the other end because suddenly we were, we'd gone flying forward and we were outnumbered at the back. What do you put it down to, Cam? Is, it, is this just the injury carrying over or is it a, a question of defenders are starting to learn how to read Mitrovic's game a little bit better, having, having kind of seen this new style that he's brought to the Premier League this time around? I thought it was difficult for Mitrovic to perform well against one of the best modern-day centre-halves in Thiago Silva and a young centre-half in Badi Yashil who would do everything that the Brazilian demanded of him. Um, so in that respect, it's uh, it's always going to be a tough ask. In the last couple of weeks, I think it probably is something to do with the knock that he had, just carrying over into the games. It's, it's, it's always a bit of a, a mental block for strikers or any player to get over an injury and to really exert themselves because they're scared of rupturing it again they're scared of uh, obviously getting themselves in sticky situations where they might uh, where they might have to be out on the sidelines for a little bit longer but I, I didn't think Mitrovic was too bad yesterday I, I just thought it wasn't necessarily his night he wasn't necessarily getting the service um, the service he requires because we know what he's like when he snaffles up those uh, those low crosses or high crosses into the box he's, he, he's a goal getter but it didn't necessarily work for us in the final third and that comes down to the fact that Chelsea were quite well organised too at the back, you know. And it's always hard to assert yourselves at a, at a club like Chelsea where you're obviously looking at the point and you're going, OK, well, we can take some kind of reward out of it. Um, I wouldn't worry at all. I don't think it's a cause for concern at the moment. Yes, he hasn't scored since the 31st of December, but at the same time, there's a long way to go in this season. And we know that Mitrovic, barring last year, always goes through these spells where he's quiet. He looks a little bit disinterested, but there's always a time where he gets himself recomposed and sits himself down when he's at home and he gives himself a talking to and he comes back and he fires in five, six goals in three games. And that can quite easily happen. Um, And maybe if he has a couple more ice baths in the morning to get himself invigorated for the day, it might do him some good. But I, I, I don't necessarily feel it's something that we should be crying about or, you know, be necessarily watching too much because... We know what he can do and it's only going to be a matter of time before he reawakens and starts bagging again. Yeah, I mean, Dan, in terms of the kind of broader church of that question, the predictability in the final third, I I think there might be something in this that kind of relates to it in that teams know how Fulham are going to try and progress the ball. They know that it's going to be worked out to Willian who's going to come inside. He's going to look or is it, you know, he's going to look to shoot or it's a deep cross from the right-hand side, and, and Kenny Dead is swinging it in for Mitrovic. Teams are probably just a little bit more aware of the way that Fulham attack uh, and the way that we we set up. And I'd imagine that's having a knock-on effect on the service that Alexander Mitrovic is getting because it's not like he's missing heaps of chances. It's that he seems to be just a step off where the chances are falling to. Yeah, I think that's one of my slight worries as, as one of the, the questions sort of posed is that we're not scoring at the moment. We've we've gone three on the bounce without scoring. And, and Silver did say, look, fair enough, that's not great. But we were also playing against three top sides in that run with a couple of particularly strong defensive teams. But it's the fact that we, we are struggling to create at the moment anything really that stands out. You know, our best chance yesterday is is a, a half volley from outside the area. That's, you know, that's that's probably not even a half chance at best. That's That's, you know... That the the XG on that's going to be minimal, quite <laughs> rightly. Um, but 
I do think there's an element of, yeah, this this predictability because in these past three games, we have seen all of them. And now part of that is because of how uh, Spurs set up, but also Newcastle and Chelsea, both playing in a four, still defended very wide. And they they, they try and really stifle us out wide because we know that's where we make our best inroads is is getting the ball out to either a winger or an overlapping fullback and then trying to provide service to Mitrovic. And I think one of the things that we're probably missing at the moment, which we were fantastic at last season, is hitting those areas just inside the area. You know, when you're when you're looking at getting into the box and finding cutbacks, as we, we used to be cutbacks FC, but that that sort of you're looking at a prime Pep Guardiola side is finding those, as Farrell likes to call them, the love handles of the box, and <laughs> really just trying to be a little bit more disruptive because it does feel a little bit hit and hope at times. It just feels like there's an element of just hoping Kenny Tete can provide the best cross and find Alexander Mitrovic. And I think that's probably even tougher when you're looking at centre-backs with the experience of Thiago Silva, for example, who is maybe not quite as physically strong as Alexander Mitrovic, but he is a smarter player and he has more experience than him. And he dealt with him with, with relative ease yesterday. So I, th- I do think we just need to look at a shake-up and whether that's potentially just a little bit of a change up on the wings, providing someone with a little bit different coming on, someone who will make slightly different runs. We know that Bobby in general is going to start to stick a little bit wider. We know William's going to cut inside and we know the runs that our fullbacks make. And I think we just need to change up a little bit. And then I also think we need to be looking at goals coming from different areas of the pitch. I think this has been a, a problem for us in general for a, a number of seasons and, and on and off, not every season, but over-reliance on Alexander Mitrovic is going to be a problem. I think we've given a lot of praise to Andreas Pereira, but yeah, I think just about we, do, we do need him to start contributing a little bit more on the goals front, I think. It's tough when you're looking at the, what comes behind that because Reed and Polina, neither of them are natural goal-scoring central midfielders. Yes, they've both scored this season, but they are not players who are tasked with getting into goal-scoring positions. And so you're looking at your two wingers, your centre-forward and Andreas Pereira, being your goal options and at the moment none of them are doing it <laughs> yeah I also think this is maybe part of it and you know there's an article going out at the start of next week about why Sasha Lukic has come into Fulham because he is more of a goal threat from from those deeper positions he can get into the box late he is willing to take shots on you know he, he has that in his locker a little bit more than Harrison Reed, I think and and that's not criticism it's just they're different slightly different types of player um uh, although i would suggest that lukic is more similar to reed than to Polinia, and, and therefore you're looking at like going okay what what fulham lacking is it a bit more gold threat from outside the box and and therefore a player like lukic makes a whole lot more sense in, in those kind of views but i i'm with you both but it, cam in terms of what you're saying about Mitrovic, i think it will come good um i just am wary that he looks half a yard off the pace and the one thing that i picked out last night it wasn't you know the shop halfway line obviously if it had gone in great is it the right move probably not but you know what it was fun and I therefore I'm okay with it and it also you know it was kind of just letting Kepa know I think it, in some ways he's like by the way I've I got eyes on you I'm, I'm still about <laughs> but the actual one that I was like ah he didn't read right was the one in the first half where it was crossed over and Willian knocks it back in mm. and He's gone on the keeper as if it's going to go up in the air. That's never the ball once the ball gets to Willian. Willian's either going to head it in or he's flicking back across. And Mitrovic just needs to take the step backwards to allow himself the moment. to. And instead, he's just in front of the ball and he has to try and catch it on the swivel. And obviously, that's a much more difficult opportunity. That was the one I was like, ah, mm. last year's Alexander Mitrovic is in the right spot. And and I think that that's just one of those things that maybe it comes from confidence. Maybe it's a little bit working too hard. Maybe it's trying too hard for it. But that's definitely the one that I was like, ah, I want you to be in a in a slightly different zone there. Right. Let, let's come on to a couple more questions. James Wilson says the table looks great today, but we also can't ignore the fact that we've played more games than everyone around us. If we'd all played twenty two. Where do you think we'd be right now? So Fulham are currently six on 32 points. Brighton are a point behind us, having played three games less. Brentford, two points behind us, having played two games less. Uh, Chelsea, two points behind us, having played one game less. And Liverpool have three games in hand as well on 29, three points behind. Is the sensible answer here, Cookie, just 10th? 
yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think, I think that is probably the most obvious place that we'd be, um, which is funny because that almost sounds disappointing, doesn't it? Sort yeah. of like, well, imagine like, how much we would have bitten your hand off for 10 exactly, yeah, exactly. at the start of the season. Exactly. But there is also an element of you, you look at those those teams below us and yes, there are a couple in Brighton, Brentford who are in a good place at the moment, in a, in a very good place and are you would probably back to win games in hand. But it's not a given when you look at especially Chelsea and Liverpool, they're in as our favourite Portuguese managers all say, they're in a bad moment and they're, they're really need to, I don't think there's any given here that they would win those games in hand. And ultimately all we're doing, and Marco Silva is reiterating that after every game, but we are just picking up the points where we can. We're plodding along. We will take this at every time, looking at the table, looking six in the league. It's wonderful. But... I think it's hard to it's hard to judge, and it's been bothering me quite a lot because it is hard to just sort of know how this table's sitting in general because of all of these games in hand that are sort of. Dotted it reminds about. me of the COVID year in many ways. Really. Exactly, you couldn't look at the table because it didn't make any sense. Yeah, and it's it's quite it's quite frustrating in a way because I think you take a glance at it and it, it takes you aback, and then you realise, hang on, there's a lot of movement that could go on here once those games in hand have happened, um, and it's it's. Coming in in a way, unlike the COVID season, I think there's these sort of games in hand are being picked up in sort of drips and drabs here and there as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, tenth, let's say it, and that's absolutely fantastic. And if if you say we are tenth, if, if once everyone has covered those games in hand, I'm looking at the teams below us, and I would confidently say pretty much that we are better than all of them. I think we are probably the tenth best team in the league at, at a minimum. Because you look below and Villa and eleventh, I think we I think we're a better side than Villa. I still don't think they found their feet under Unai Emery. They're better, but I don't think they're quite there. And then you look below that Palace, Forest, Leicester. These are teams that I'm confident that right now in this moment we are better than. Yeah, yeah, yeah I completely agree. I, the big one for me is that Fulham are currently 15 points above the relegation zone. You know, I genuinely believe that that's that's still the still the main aim. And obviously, Marco talks about it. And there is an element where you're playing it down a tad, I think, generally. And he's like, you know, our main main goal is survival. It's easy to to look at that and go, okay, there's a couple of games in hand on most of those teams. The most of those teams have on us. Fifteen get fifteen points. I think we're going to be okay purely because one, I think we're very good, and two, I think everyone at the bottom now is going to go into a bit of a weird mode where they start beating each other. And so they're also like going to sort of magnetize the bottom six, seven. And and I think there is a very high chance that on the final day, six or seven teams could go down, you know, still in danger of going down. I don't believe Fulham will be one of them. Uh, you know, in my heart of hearts, I'm, I'm, I'm fully there. The tricky bit is obviously this, you know, we've got a, a hard run of fixtures through through February and March. And I wonder if if this kind of plays the way plays out the way that I think it might, we might lose touch with seventh. And and actually you get to April and you're looking at April and going, April is very winnable. And um, obviously T.S. Eliot said April is the cruelest month. It very much isn't for Fulham this season. And if Fulham are still in touching distance, I said this before, of of kind of the idea of Europe going into April, if we've picked up points through February and March and we're there, there is definitely here a, a kind of point where you're like, okay, like where are we going? What's the what's the drill with this? Because then you look at that run of fiction and go, Fulham could rock it at, at that point. I think it's just about keeping in touch at the moment and, and just stay, keeping that buffer and barrier, Cam, from those teams who are going to start to pick up some points. You look at Bournemouth and Southampton, who I don't think are very good, but they've both had very good windows, I think, and, and they've spent well. It's really hard for good players to come into a team that's struggling and make an immediate impact. We've seen that at Fulham before. So whether these kind of signings work or not is a different question. But there is definitely, I think, a sense of tangible improvement in much of the bottom half of the Premier League. And that's, I think, what we've just got to be a little bit wary of when we're talking around around things and where Fulham are, especially if we go on a little run where we don't win a few games in a row. You're always going to go through spells, though, where you're not picking up points. Yeah. And it's going to be hard for you to build any kind of uh, foothold in, in the schedule. But... I echo what Dan said. You know, we are very, very good value for a mid-table finish. 
I still maintain the fact that Europe, it looks absolutely fantastic on paper, but I still don't think we're really ready for it just yet. I'd like us to bed ourselves into the Premier League a little bit more and establish ourselves with a manager which has, you know, aspirations in the direction. I still think it's too early for us to even be considering Europe. I mean, we're there at the moment, but anything can happen. We can get sucked into a mini battle ourselves. You never really know. We always see the the table kind of split into three little separate tables, like three mini, three mini leagues, so to speak. It's all dependent on where we end up. Are we going to be in at the end of the table where we're vying for conference league football um, or are we going to be looking for consolidatory finishes in like 13th to 14th? Um, I still don't think that we're going to get... Uh, Get caught up in the whole uh, in the whole relegation battle. I still I still think we're too good a team for that, and we've proved it already this season. Although there's a long way to go, um, as we've already touched on, there are teams below us which don't have any idea on how they're going to approach games, and they smash and grab results. At the moment, we're not scoring goals, but we still look very very well drilled, very very well organised, and that's a foundation for Premier League football, isn't it? You know, once you've got that the goals and the chance creations will come. Um, so I, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about what Southampton have done in the transfer window. I'm not worried about what anybody else has done business-wise because I still think that we've brought in the players in the summer and indeed during um, during January, which can make the difference for us. And if that means pushing for Europe, so be it. But I'd like to think, you know, a finish in ninth, tenth, or eleventh is is very, very good value for Fulham. And why can't we achieve that with the players we've got and push on next year? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah completely agree. And the other thing, and I, I stuck my neck out on this a bit, like two podcasts ago, that I, I, I have full confidence that we are officially up, like staying up. I think yeah. we're, we're we're fine. What I love about that is that you look at, and you mentioned it, JCP. You look at this table; it's going to be a hell of a relegation battle this season. Because for a start, there's not one team that's drifted away, which means that there's constantly three places in that relegation zone that are up for grabs, as opposed to sometimes you get a team in 20th who you're like, they're down, they're written off. Yeah. and they're yeah. a... It's been us. us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you look at it and, and there's the, the names down there as well and the, the, the squad value that's knocking about in the, the towards the bottom of the table I think it's going to be incredible to watch we're going to get some really nasty nitty gritty chaotic games at the bottom of this table and it's going to be great to just be able to sit back and I think we'll hit a point in the season and yes maybe we'll, we'll be still looking upwards but I think it'd be quite nice to hit a point in the season where we just sit back and we're like let's have a bit of fun let's watch some teams battle for things we'll kick back we'll have our feet up we'll churn out some results here and there and just enjoy being a stable premier league team for a season yeah yeah absolutely it's, it's just nice to be not involved and long may yeah. it long may it continue as far as i'm concerned um all right let's have a look at one last question before we go on to talk briefly about the forest game uh, and it was a Slight flip on what we were talking about earlier. It's from Dom, who says, I remember a time after the Forest and Leeds wins, especially whilst, well, especially where while people were obviously happy, they were also slightly worried about the goals conceded column. What do you put the clear defensive improvement down to at Fulham? I think it's a cracking question, Cookie. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I was thinking about it as well, because I think one of the things that initially actually came to mind was just Issa Diop. I think, yeah. I think he's had a, a big impact. And, and yesterday he's, error prone every now and then just through lapses of concentration but in general I think he's provided a great solidity there and then the other thing and I think me and Jarm spoke about it on a whiteboard was that I think we just needed time we just needed time for a back four to settle you know we had the issues of, of Kenny being out injured which meant we had Bobby at right back you had Tosin starting the season then Issa Diop coming in fresh we've had periods where Anthony Robinson's been been out of the team and I think we've just had a lot of chopping and changing and then we finally found our settled back four and they just needed a little bit of time and now that that's happened that's bedded in I think that's that's why we're seeing the benefit we're sort of reaping the benefits of trusting the process almost and then you've also just always got to give credit I think when we're talking defensively to Harrison Reed and Joao Polina because they they've they started the season brilliantly but I still think they're just getting stronger and the way they protect our back four is a large 
reason as to why we don't concede many goals at the moment because the number of times they're snuffing out those those passes that try and break those lines and get get runners sort of in between the the midfield and the the back four the number of times they cut that out i think it's just they protect them brilliantly and and i guess finally burnt leno as well who's been mm. just sublime all season i mean we talk about valuing kenny tete as a signing again valuing burnt leno as a signing it's it's insane to pick up a goalkeeper of his caliber for so cheap was it and, a packet of Haribo and, and think, <laughs> yeah. six Kit Kats? <laughs> and and we're looking at a goalkeeper who I don't think we, I mean, we could easily have him what, four five years. I reckon we could we could get out of Burnt Leno. Yeah, and and that's that's so important. I think because you can just every transfer window you hit and you're like, well, we've got a keeper. That's one thing we don't need to deal with. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is it, Cam. And, and Cookie's point there about it being settled feels like a major one you know that it's just these players have fully got to understand the point you know apart from the chaos in the the two big Chelsea chances generally most of the time if someone's attacking us I'm not unduly worried no there's familiarity isn't there these players know each other and know what they need to do and where they need to be on the pitch and they, they, they know the functions of the players around them you know I, I love watching the the relationships form over a period of time. And I agree, Tim Ream and Issa Diop, although communication might break down every so often, one sticks and, you know, the other twists. One presses and asserts play and the other sits back just in case there's a, you know, a rogue runner getting through. Out wide, we're very, very assertive and offensive, of course, with the fullbacks. And as Tim said, well, Tim Ream said, you know, you, you defend from the front. And that's and that's great to see. And the relationships, the understanding across the board is 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 definitely something that we need to that we need to applaud. And just touching on Bernd Leno, I, I absolutely love watching him orchestrate from his eighteen yard box. He is so so vocal, and he is always always um, making sure that everybody's in the right places at the right time. He's geeing up the boys. He 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 he's he's just a, he's just a he's just a nice he's just a nice you know he's just a nice voice to have in your ear as a player because there's nothing worse than being on the pitch and it's dead silent and although you can see things forming in front of you it's good to have a perspective from the back and that's what a goalkeeper's primary role is really it's to see play develop in front of them and it's to make sure that the defense understand what they need to be doing in that situation and he is so so good at making sure you know, the team are setting up in the right way. He's just shouting all the time. And I love seeing that in the keeper, the confidence. Yeah. And I think the one thing that sometimes maybe goes unnoticed because it looks routine, but it's definitely something he holds over Marek Rodak is his starting position is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely yeah. agreed. And he's, like, just, he's, he's like an auxiliary defender, really, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he's and, a sweeper. The number of times he he you know he sweeps up and it looks routine. It's because he's prepared and he's always on his toes, ready to come out. And if obviously it's there's a little bit of irony in us talking about this after he probably gets it slightly wrong. <laughs> Although we did debate whether he's not made the wrong decision. It's just not quite worked uh, against against Chelsea. But the number of times this season he's come off his line and saved us or made what were really dangerous attacking situations look really tame just because he's so quick off his line and, and and ready in those moments. I think that's been huge for us because I think that's probably one of Marek's biggest weaknesses is his willingness to come off his line, whereas Leno is so comfortable doing that. Yeah, yeah, agreed totally. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, a major, major feather in Silver's cap that, you know, we've been able to to craft a defence of this quality and, and, and the coaching has clearly been outstanding in, in that regard as well. Um, the only question left on that one is sign the ting, Marco. Do you know what I mean? So sign the ting. <laughs> Give that man an eight and a half year contract. Go full Chelsea on him. Um, <laughs> right. After the break, we are going to be talking about our visit to the Stadium Lights to play Sunderland in our FA Cup replay this week. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> 
Welcome back to the third and final part of Fulhamish. Jack here, joined by Cam and Dan. And we have an FA Cup replay to handle midweek this week, boys. It's actually quite nice in terms of the scheduling from this game to the next one. There's, there's a fair break here, which means that Fulham aren't going to be hugely inundated. The one between Sunderland and Forest is less pretty. I kind of think the FA Cup has been done a little bit to death and I also think in some ways this is a game that people are interested in but it's also like okay cool how how does this fit with the rest of the season and you know coming off the back of a win a win a draw like that at, at the bridge felt like a win in some ways uh, you, you kind of look at it and go right can Fulham go and just do the job I think at the stadium like that's the the element of this you're looking at we don't want extra time and penalties basically Fulham are like let's get this done and so basically my question would be how do you approach this, Cam, if you're Marco Silva? Is it a team full of changes? Do you try and give Mitrovic minutes in order to give him some confidence or do you give him a rest? And how much rotation do you put in this side, considering that the next round looks like a, a winnable, if not easy, game at home against Leeds that would put Fulham into the kind of dark edge of this cup that people are dropping out of like flies. Obviously, some of the big guns already gone in this one. It's kind of looking like a, a possibility that a kind draw could lead itself very nicely to the idea of Fulham going far into this competition for the first time in a long time. Yeah, of course. In the league, we know that we're more or less safe. So why can't we have a day out at Wembley? Why can't we hedge our bets on the FA Cup? Um, in that regard, we've got to throw everything we've got at Sunderland. Strong squad. I don't necessarily think Mitrovic needs to start, but it'll be nice to take him. I know in the last podcast we said, what would you rather Mitrovic do? Um, and tongue-in-cheek kind of said, well, you take my wife out for a steak dinner or whatever. Um, I still think he needs to go just in case, but I'd like to see Vinicius start up top, um, purely because I think he's a striker that also needs a bit of confidence too. Um, nevertheless, I'd like to see basically a full-strength squad. If you give Sunderland any inkling of a chance, um, especially if they see our squad and it's full of uh, rotational players, they're going to think, all right, well, they're here for the taking then, aren't they? They're not taking us seriously like they did at home. So let's go out and give them as good a game as we uh, did last time round. So we've got to nip this in the bud now, really, and get it out of the way. It <laughs> When you're playing FIFA, it kind of feels like that really inconvenient cup tie in between um, in, in between league games where you're just trying to build up momentum and it's like, oh, here we go again. I can't be bothered for this, you know. And Quick sim. Yeah, literally is that. It's like, get it out of the way. Who cares? It's going to end up being 1-1. We lose on penalties or something like that. Or we're going to go out and storm it 5-0. Um, Sunderland's, Tony Mowbray's done a great a great job with them, yeah. you know. Yeah, a, 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 young, a young team full of prospects and obviously the 15-year-old uh, very nearly scored the winning goal against us last time around. We don't want that to happen again. We've got to show these boys what it is to be Premier League and why we deserve to be in the Premier League and why we deserve to go on an FA Cup, you know, a charge for the FA Cup. And like you said, a favourable, um, uh, you know, game against Leeds at home, you'll take that. I mean, I, I'm not worried about Jesse Marsh's Leeds they're, they're, they're there for the taking too. They're shaky defensively. And uh, if we get through and we end up sticking a couple past Sunderland, it can bode well Premier League-wise too. Because if you get goals in the squad, it builds confidence. So go out there, hell for leather, and give them something. Yeah, I mean, I, that was the point I was going to come on to, Dan. We talked about the kind of a misfiring attack in in, in some ways in the, last, in the last bit of the podcast. This is an opportunity to actually get that firing again and, and start to experiment a little bit with, as you say, finding those new ways to actually get things in. Uh, I was wrong on the last podcast. We can't bring Cedric and Sasa Lukic in for this one. Players that I found this out in midweek. So shouts out to Tom on Twitter who, uh, who, who gave us the heads up. Um, but it was, uh, it, it does look like an opportunity for your Harry Wilsons, your Man of Solomons. Uh, I'm with Cam in that you don't need the full rotation. And I think you're going to do that. Marek Rodak, I think, will play. But generally, the one player I'd really like to see given a run out is Shane Duffy, who now actually fully belongs to <laughs> Fulham. Uh, he had a great time with the fans on the touchline. Oh, um, it, feels, if, it feels like he, he'd have to buy a ticket. Yeah, he'd get close to the pitch if he, if he bought a ticket. He was sitting in Cam's seat. Um, so I'm not <laughs> sure what he's done to Marco Silva, but it, it does feel like, you're like, go on, give big Shane a go. He's, you know, he, he's a more than confident defender. Look yeah. him up top. 
<laughs> Lob him up top. If Vinny's not going to do the job, I'm sure that big boy can get himself on the end of a cross and stick it away. You know, he's got to... Stick a few corners on his head. That's what I say. <laughs> but I th- yeah, I think you're both right in terms of, of team selection. I'd love to see Manos. Sol- I, I almost don't want to see Manos Solomon play 90 minutes because I think I want him to start next weekend. Mm. I, I, I'm starting to get quite excited about him, but there's one thing we haven't seen him do yet, which is have to provide any end product. He's been very, very tidy in possession with the ball at his feet, but he's never been given the opportunity to really create anything yet. But I, I would love to see him play next weekend. So maybe maybe start him, but don't let, make him play the full 90 yet. Some chopping and changing, but I tell you who needs this game a lot less than we do, and that's Sunderland, because they are fighting for something this season in terms of, you know, playoffs are still reachable for them. Yeah. We've got three games left this month after we play on on Wednesday. Sunderland have got five. So they've, they've got to play two more games for the rest of this month than we do. They play today again, so we've got an extra day on them. I just think, I think Sunderland are probably going to be the team that are going to have to rotate more than we do. And by virtue of how the football pyramid works, we have stronger squad depth than they do. Mm. And so I think our, you know, if you're looking at maybe an A slash B team from us, that's going to be considerably stronger than the equivalent of theirs. If you were just shaping up best starting 11s, our, our dropping our, you know, dropping a couple of players out of ours is going to have a lot less of an effect than dropping a couple of players out of theirs. And so I think this is really there for the taking. I think you play, you play key players who you have faith that they're in a good moment of sort of physical fitness where you know an extra game isn't going to wound them too much on that basis I think that probably writes Alexander Mitrovic out of starting because if he's having this ankle issue it just it almost feels like do you remember when we had that issue with Tom Kenny and it's not the same level but Tom Kenny needed 10 months out of football to to recover you know and then he's come back and he's been better than he was for the three seasons prior to it it just feels like Mitro just needs a little bit of time just to just ease off a little bit and so I wouldn't even be too disappointed if he didn't travel at all because ultimately him scoring goals in the league is so much more important than scoring it away at Sunderland in the FA Cup you just know that if he goes back up to Sunderland you know knowing the animosity between Newcastle and Sunderland he's going to get lumps kicked out of him isn't he at home with 40,000 fans behind Sunderland, he's going to be public enemy number one, isn't he? So that's why I don't think it's worth risking Mitrovic at all. Take him, you know, throw him on for five, 10 minutes at the end if we're in a comfortable position so he can just cause him some problems. But I'm with you. I, I wouldn't start him. I, I wouldn't start him. I, I wouldn't even consider it because it's just going to be, it's just going to be a bit dangerous for him really. Yeah. I mean, I I'd slightly disagree with you, Cookie, on where Sunderland are in their season. Because I think they're having basically a Fulham equivalent season within the division below in that they were expected to stay up. Yes, I think they could push for playoffs. I don't think they could win them. And I think that that's, you know, I went on a couple of Sunderland podcasts and talked to people and I think that was the prevailing sentiment among a lot of that as well. It was like, they were like, we're really pleased to be where we are, but we don't think we can really kick on and win the playoffs. We, we, you know, that feels like next season's job always, almost at, at this point, especially with some of the spend at the top of the championship and the fact that two clubs have run away at the top of the division. It's like a real kind of mad scrap in in the bit below hand. And, and a lot of people have spent a lot of, you know, a lot of money to try and get themselves back in the Premier League. Something haven't done that. So I think they're kind of looking at this as a bit of a free hit as well. And, and they're going, you know what? And I bet they're saying exactly the same on Roker Report and What the Fuck and all of these podcasts going, hang on, Leeds at home in the in the fifth round and we could be in a quarter. We can win that game. And so I actually think that Stadium Light will be buzzing on Wednesday night. I think yeah. they'll be bang up for it. And I agree with you in terms of fixture congestion. Obviously, it's a little bit there. But I think they will be going, you know what? We might get in the playoffs, but we've just lost our top scorer to a in- season-ending injury. Mm. We've brought in Joe Gelhart. He's a very different player. Fine. But you know, maybe our best chance of like having a glorious season actually comes in a cup run. So I, I think that they will be more up for it than, than maybe that we expect in, in that regard. But I, I would agree with you. I'd still rotate. I'd like to see some minutes. I thought Harry Wilson worked really hard when he came on at the bridge yesterday and I'd like to see him get a start. Dan James is 
seemingly dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, so I have no idea what's going on there, but I would give him some minutes if, if, if it was possible. And and just, you know, you get those rotations in that, that allow us to just breathe a little easier. Um, I would have liked, it would have been great to have Cedric and, and Lukic here for this because I'd like to give Kenny Tete a rest. You know, I'd like to give Joao Polinho a rest. These are, these are the kind of moments, but I think that both of those players will start. Uh, in the midweek game and, and we kind of go from there but I would agree I think Carlos Vinicius probably gets the nod up top and with that I think it's probably time to call this a day um, and all that's left to do is to give this podcast a name so Cookie over to you. Uh, JC there's there's only one that it can be and we've got to find an apt way of of toasting AF's newborn fear it was her first ever game that Fulham played during her life so far. So we have to go with Enzius of Tete. Well done, Adam Fakwasen. Yes. And congratulations. Indeed. Well done, boy. Indeed. Talking of Enzius of Kenny Tete, it seems that uh, Mikhaila Mudrik might be as well, JC, because Chelsea tweeted yesterday, reply with a better right back with a photo of, of Rhys James on his return. And uh, the Fulham admins, who have been pretty good recently, I think, <laughs> reply, quote tweeted this morning with a picture of Kenny Tete holding his Man of the Match award, only for that tweet to be liked by a certain Mikhailo Mudrik, which clearly means that uh, <laughs> he's been more impressed with Kenny Tete in that game than he has been with Rhys James in training. So <laughs> we've we've solved it. Kenny yep. Tete is better. Indeed. Levels stands game. up. Stands <laughs> up. Um, Mudrik now is like, oh, can we have that guy? He was really good. And I'd never want to play against him ever again. Thanks very much. Uh, right. All that's left for me to do is to say thank you to you all for listening to this episode of Fulhamish. Thank you so much to Mr. Cameron Ramsey. Big up, fellas. Absolute pleasure again. Thank you so much to Mr. Daniel Cook. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you, JC. Thank you both. It's been, I've really enjoyed this. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish, a wonderful result of the bridge, unbeaten in the SW6 derby this year. Four points from six and higher than Chelsea in the table. SW6 is firmly, firmly black and white and there really is only one team in Fulham. You whites. You whites. You whites.